welcome. <laughs> well, welcome to you, Steve and AJ. Um, Steve and AJ are joining us from Creative Golf Marketing. Um, and we are excited to sit down and chat with them today about a number of topics. Um, most specifically, <clears throat> what the sales environment is going to look like as we're moving into this reopening phase um, and, you know, what, what clubs are, what questions clubs are going to be asking um, when it comes to, you know, new and prospective members, but then also, you know, what do we do with our current members and, and how do we handle some of these things that are coming up? So um, we are going to start our conversation today. Um, why don't you guys give us a very brief introduction of who you are and why you are experts on, on these topics, um, and then we'll move into the questions. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Uh, so Steve and I are the principals of Creative Golf Marketing. We're a, a niche marketing agency. We work uh, only in the private club uh, realm. We've been doing this. Uh, Steve founded it 30 years ago. Uh, been privileged to work with over 1,600 clubs in that time. And uh, just we've been really fortunate to, uh, over the course of all that time, we've been the beneficiaries of seeing mistakes that clubs have made. And uh, it's not that we're necessarily the smartest guys in the world. It's just that we've had the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. And there's a lot of good ideas that bounce around in boardrooms. Um, and we get to look back and see the unintended consequences of, of a lot of those decisions. And, and right now is a time when uh, uh, some, some knee-jerk reactions are being made, some decisions are being made that probably should not be made. Um, and so, you know, hopefully we'll be able to today talk about some of those things that, that we've seen that have been done in the past by other clubs and, and, and communicate, you know, some of, some of the unintended consequences. So, yeah, as well, well stated, AJ, as AJ said, we've, we have the privilege of being invited into boardrooms where they close the door and they tell us their concerns. Uh, they, you know, quite frankly, tell us ideas and strategies they would like to implement. And as AJ pointed out so well, uh, we watched a lot of implementation thinking that, oh gosh, that's a great idea. I got a feeling that the water's gonna be really calm and everything's gonna be good. And inadvertently, those ideas went into choppy water and uh, you know caused them problems. So we are the beneficiaries of over 30 years of, of seeing what's been working. And as AJ pointed out in an earlier you know webcast, uh, the uh, we have the opportunity, uh, having lived through September 11th of 2001, uh, October, September and October of 2008, and decisions that were made during those crises. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were some good ones. There were some bad ones. And AJ and I are seeing some similarity of mindset uh, that we wanted to you know, talk about today to uh, you know, help you know, caution people of where they might want to be careful and what might be helpful to them. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that very brief rundown. Um, good. We're, we're staying on topic. Um, so we'll, we'll start out with talking about prospective members, because obviously this is a question that's going to come up as clubs start to reopen again, and they're going to start thinking about, you know, how are we going to you know, attract new members back to the club? You know, are people going to be interested in joining a club at this time? I know there's, you know, still a lot of concern and fear maybe out there. Um, so we'll, we'll just start there. Um, what do you guys think the sales environment will look like when this is all over? Well, Kyle, I think Steve and I are both, uh, you know, we're, we're eternal optimists when it comes to this. Uh, we're very bullish on what this is going to mean for the private club industry. 
Uh, I think that you'll see that the competitive environment, uh, businesses that normally compete with, not necessarily directly with private clubs, but we're all competing for people's time. So things like sporting events, uh, restaurants, movie theaters, you know, uh, this is going to hit the independent restaurant scene, I think, particularly hard. Uh, I know, especially locally, I'm, I'm pretty intimately involved uh, with with some the, the, the independent restaurant scene. And there's going to be a lot of them. Unfortunately, some friends of mine will not be reopening their, their restaurants. And I hate to see that, uh, but it's going to there's a silver lining in it. For private clubs, uh, I think the same is going to hold true for sporting events this 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 fall. Uh, you know, locally, uh, our college here is preparing for uh, not having students on campus in the fall. And if there's no students on campus and it's a virtual fall semester, then there's not going to be any football season. Uh, and we've all heard these things, but these are all things that compete for people's time. And um, private clubs have got the advantage of dues. Uh, to help get them through this this rough period. And I really believe that we could see one of the longest selling seasons we've ever seen for 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 private clubs. And we're seeing that play out uh, at some of our current clients, Steve. you could uh, there's there's several stories that we can share uh, with current clients. Yeah, there's no question, AJ. Uh, the, uh, the the industry is getting a lot of free pub- publicity right now. Uh, it started out negative. It started out, you know, where, uh, you know, golf was thought of as being insensitive. Uh, you know, it, it was an elitist, you know, type of situation. And so the publicity started out rather negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started to work itself around to more of health, natural social distancing. Uh, and when when AJ and I kind of lived through this in 2001 and 2008, everybody wants to ultimately be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're looking for happiness in, in their lives, and they're looking for options of what they're going to be able to utilize that happiness. And AJ, as you pointed out, you know really, really well, some of the local restaurants where they used to go and found comfort and their friends and uh, the local proprietors who owned it, that was their happy zone, may not be in business, and they may not be comfortable there. So yeah. the we think we, we're seeing the sales environment being very strong because. Just the gosh, the the club that AJ and I are members of. I think the golf course is on like 134 acres. So just by its by its campus, yeah. it's large. It gives you this feeling of comfort, you know, to it. And AJ is talking about one of our clients in Minnesota. Uh, a person called up and said, "I don't care what it costs to join. I just want to play golf tomorrow, uh, and just tell me, you know, where to." Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we're getting a lot of people who are saying, "I want this." And before the pandemic, there were a number of private clubs that people were not saying, I want that. I must have that. You're seeing a different concept at both the current members who are saying, gosh, you know, the number of resignations, you know, Kyle and Melissa, it's much lower than we anticipated. The number of leave of absence requests, they're much lower than we anticipated because a number of people are sitting around the kitchen table saying, if we quit the club... What do we have? I mean, where, where are we going to be happy? So we, we see AJ and I are, are quite bullish, and not just because we're in the business, but because we're seeing these positive conversations play out with, we've got about 50 clients right now. We're seeing very positive relationships of, of those clubs. So to follow on that, then, um, you know, you're talking about folks 
folks calling up clubs and saying, you know, I don't care what the cost is. I just want to play golf tomorrow. I, I need to get out. I need to do something. I want to go to a place where I feel safe and um, a club can provide that. That sort of leads into the question of initiation fees and dues. So, you know, I'm sure it comes up where clubs are thinking, well, do we need to lower our initiation fees as we're coming out of this to perhaps entice people to come in and join um, it sounds like what I'm guessing you're going to say is no, but I'll let you guys follow up on that because, you know, I'm curious how that how that might play out. Yeah. AJ wrote a phenomenal blog just recently and said, you know, don't do not make the mistakes of past history. Uh, and that and, and Kyle, that's where kind of the amateur board member membership committee, that's their first instinct is well we've got to we've got to we've got to get pricing you know down uh, and that's not what the you know people are looking for and as a matter of fact the clubs that did that back in 2008 here here we are 12 years later we got to 2020 and prices finally got back up and now their instinct is is to in fact you know do the exact same thing which is totally unnecessary yeah just to just to add to that you know we we feel like the initiation fee is is not the problem with people joining private clubs. It's disengagement on behalf of the members. And uh, by maintaining, and it, listen, nobody wants to go to their friends and go, hey, my club is a lot cheaper than it used to be to join because it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't send that message of, of uh, prestige and, and the luxury good that it is. And so, you know, when, when you're, when you're thinking about these things, one of the things that Steve and I, as we develop marketing programs for clubs, we've got a lot of different things that we've got to balance. We've got to make the board of directors happy. We've got to make the current members happy. And we've also got to design something that, that the prospective member is interested in buying. And by slashing initiation fees drastically, uh, you may make the prospective member happy, but you could upset the, 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 the current member that's now less likely to go out and share and say, oh, hey, we're having a fire sale. Uh, it's it's not necessary. Uh, let's we're seeing demand. Um, and so, you know, it's it's more a matter of making your members believe that your club is worth what you're charging. And and and, and it's as simple as that. So well, and uh, one it's, simple, it's all a matter of messaging. One simple example. AJ, thank you. Uh, we've got a client in California. It's a hundred thousand dollar initiation fee club. Very nice club. Uh, they were hesitant, reticent, reluctant to lower the price. And so we recommended staged payments. Uh, and so instead of someone having to pay $100,000, they're making four payments over three years, $25,000 up front, $25,000 on the first anniversary of uh, each membership, each anniversary of joining. And th that's a concession to the new member that's coming in while maintaining the brand. And as AJ pointed out so well, also the current members who paid the $100,000 are saying, good, that person's still paying it. And the club needs that money mm -hmm. to continue to invest in capital projects, debt reduction, uh, depreciation, et cetera. So th there's no reason to apologize. Uh, if, if anything, just be, uh, in fact, gracious you know, in saying that uh, there is a cost to join the club, but here's how you can, can in fact, uh, you know, pay it. Yeah, being flexible yeah. and adaptable, I think, are two probably keys here. Um, and as to not devalue the membership 
of being a part of the club and devalue the club necessarily by lowering initiation fees. Um, but yeah, to be adaptable and flexible and offer, you know, a, you know, a payment plan or a tiered, you know, thing that might be able to be put in place to where those new members would still be paying the, the full initiation fee just over a period of time instead of, as you said, all up front. Yeah. But, and Kyle, but to, just to add, uh, both of, you know, both of these things that we've talked about so far, what the sales environment is going to look like and what our initiation fee should look like. This is all, to a certain degree, this is all a matter of attitude. Mm -hmm. If your club thinks that we're not going to sell any memberships this year and, and that attitude trickles down from the board of directors and gets out to the members, then guess what's going to happen? You're not going to sell any memberships this year. But if you're prepared and you have a plan and you're organized and you have a schedule of events and you've communicated properly to your members, then you'll sell memberships. And the same thing is true with the initiation fee. If you believe that your club is worth what you're charging as the initiation fee, I mean, let's be honest, the initiation fees, there's some market-based reality there. But for the most part, I mean, you could say it's an imaginary number that's just grabbed out of the air, right? But the important thing is, is that people believe that it's worth that. Mm -hmm. And so it's all a matter of having a positive mindset. If you think you can do these things, then you will do these things. And if you think you can't, then you won't. Well, and, and when the market is volatile like it is right now, people are looking for options uh, because their liquidity, uh, you know, they're, they're holding on to their cash. They're worried about, you know, the money in the market. So they're not going into it. So even just the option of paying your initiation fee with a credit card where clubs in the past would say, oh, my gosh, we can't take a credit card payment. Uh, we're going to lose three percent. If you said to a wealthy individual, would you like to put that on your credit card? They're going to go, well, thank you, because now they can control their cash you know, to it. So AJ pointed out beautifully, if you have a mindset of being uh, disciplined, but you give people options you know, to, to get what you want and to give them what they want, you have a pretty uh, positive environment. Absolutely. So I would assume then that this conversation naturally goes into the next question of, you know, should we offer a no dues period for new members? Um, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that a little bit as well. Yeah. So uh, this one's a little trickier. Um, and, and this is one where I, I think this is something that is going to have to be evaluated from club to club. Uh, what we're seeing at our clubs right now is the second the governor tells the club that they can reopen the golf course, then it's flooded and it's packed with members. And so uh, not, you know, most, most clubs have a lot of inventory that's available on the golf course. Uh, but right now that's not holding true. And so for, with what we're seeing with the demand side of it, where there's, there's people that are wanting to join and the members are also wanting to be on the golf course and we've got tee sheets that are full, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to say to a person, Oh, hey, by the way, we're not going to make you pay any dues until June or July or until the club is reopened. It's a luxury good. Uh, in many circumstances, we are seeing demand is very high. And the other thing is, is if I'm a member of a private club and I am paying full dues and I have been paying full dues while the club's been closed during this pandemic, I'm not going to be very happy about a new member coming in and having some sort of a no dues period to be able to play the, the same golf course and compete for the same tee times that I want. It's, you know, and well, well stated AJ. And it's back to mindset. 
if you start out in an apologetic fashion and, oh, well, our course, you know, our clubhouse isn't open, so we're not going to start charging you for that. Uh, AJ and I did a little statistical analysis, and we came to the conclusion that the average member of a private club is, is a member for about 10 to 12 years. Even if you look at, heck, if you look at attrition rates of 6 to 7%, those mathematics tell you that that person would turn over in, you know, in 12 to 14 uh, you know, years or so at, at six to seven percent. So to have a mindset up front where a person who's joining a club for the next 15 years, they're not looking for those types of concessions. They're looking at this as a luxury item. They understand that there there is a price associated with the, the privilege of privacy. Uh, and to start out with the mindset of concessions, it kind of sets the wrong tone and temperature of what their expectations are going to be even when all of a sudden fall rolls around and it snows and they go, oh, I'm going to Florida. Do I have to keep paying dues? You, you, you didn't make me pay dues when I first joined the club. You know, so AJ said it beautifully. It's this mindset of having a person welcome into the club, but them understanding what the expectations of their participation as an affluent consumer, you know, shall be. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to add one other thing, because I know that some of the people that will be listening to this podcast will We'll understand that you know we're the same guys that will uh, we'll talk about seasonality for people uh, thinking about joining a club in Detroit in December. That that's a different situation. Right now we're talking about demand is high. We're we're able to get out and start utilizing the club right now, and uh, and we're we're everybody's competing for those tea times. So it, this is a different situation than if if it was you know January in. Uh, in Minnesota. So uh, just to, just to clarify a little bit there. Yeah. Good point. You know, some people, you know, we, we paint with a broad brush, you know, when we give an answer, you know, t- today is uh, April 30th. Uh, right. and, and as AJ pointed out, if this was September 30th, so there, there are going to be concessionary times as you get deeper into the season. Uh, you know, Melissa, you, you, you may want to be joining the club in September and the club may say to you, why don't you start paying social dues right now, have full access to the club, uh, and then your full golf dues will begin on March 1st. Uh, that's just a concession to you saying, if I start paying dues in Washington, D.C. on September 1st, it could snow on November 1st. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do for me? So AJ's and my comments here are not absolutes of every time of the year. We're talking on April 30th during a pandemic where people are, you know, are holed up in their homes and excited uh, about getting out. So good observation, AJ. There's certainly a great point to that. (laughs) For sure. All right. So then the last question we wanted to cover um, during this segment on prospective members um, is what is the optimum number of members for, uh, you know, any given club is, and is that number referenced in the bylaws, you know, that were in, are in existence now, is that no longer correct given the current circumstances or moving forward? And, you know, how are clubs going to kind of, you know, work on that? You know, Kyle, thank you so much. This, this is a sensitive topic. Uh, I'm 63 years old. I'm, I'm the boomer. I'm, I'm one of those guys that would be in the boardroom and I'm romanticizing back to the old days of wait lists and our bylaws were written you know, back in 1923, and you can only have 325 members, then you create a wait list. AJ's 41. He's come a totally different, you know, mindset, uh, you know, of consumers. And clubs right now 
when the when COVID-19 rolled around, private clubs found themselves vulnerable because if 325 was full, they would get up to 318 and and, and feel comfortable. When the, the amount of inventory and the availability of the facilities was massive, but they kept bumping up against an arbitrary old number mm-hmm. that everybody wants to play on. We think the vast majority of clubs bylaws are no longer relevant with that number. That if you had 375 members and you violated the bylaw by 50, nobody would know it. Now, again, I'm not saying you violate bylaws. I'm saying change the bylaw. But if you had 50 more dues-paying members, the club would still be very available. The golf course would still be very available. And the, the club's coffers would have a lot more joining fee income. And they'd have a lot more dues being paid by, they'd have more dues being paid by a larger group of people. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we think clubs are going to have to reevaluate what is the optimum number at their club. And it's, it's much higher than their bylaws currently profess. Yeah, there's a lot of iterations of the saying, but, you know, something along the line that you don't build a pub in Ireland for what it can hold on St. Patty's Day. Right. And every club is busy <laughs> on Saturday morning. Uh, but, uh, you know, what Steve says holds true. Uh, I can't play 75 rounds a year. Uh, and the days when uh, men could do that uh, or, or people, period, could do that are, are past. Uh, we require, I require a lot less golf than what my dad did at this age. Um, and so, yeah, we, we believe that those numbers should be reevaluated. Um, and then also communicated to the members, you know, like all of this stuff, this all hinges on communication to members, uh, and, and giving the reasoning why we're doing this and why it's important that we have more members as opposed to less. So, and, you know, Kyle and, and Melissa, Let's go back to the size of campus. Mm-hmm. You have an enormous campus that needs to be, in fact, uh, restructured so that people are all over the club, mm-hmm. far enough away from each other, yep. but having a, a large group of activities and excitement. You know, I'm going to use an old person phrase, the mall. <laughs> you know, malls were effective because you drove your car up. Mm-hmm. And there were all of these things to do within that one organization. Yep. The private the private club industry needs to kind of go back to the mall impact that when a family shows up, there is, in fact, there are numerous activities well beyond AJ Just Golf, as, as you've pointed out so well. And that, and that will allow a larger yeah. group of people at the club than commonly the bylaws would profess to be uh, optimum. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. I think, you know, the, the idea of how many members is the right number of members um, alongside the conversation of how do we effectively use the space that we have um, to, you know, provide for those members and make sure we're giving them what they want and need, but also make sure that they, you know, stay safe as we you know, adjust to our new normal. So great and, point. And it may be. It may be, Kyle, the creation of a weekday membership mm-hmm. where you, you move people away from the busy weekends that AJ pointed out so well. And you take a guy like me, you know, when I when I retire, Tuesday will be Saturday, Wednesday will be Saturday, Thursday will be Saturday. And so bring me over, give me some lower dues, bring me over to the inventory process of the club. Uh, but that, again, 
many weekday memberships are not in bylaws. It doesn't even exist. They, sure. you know, they, they've never even contemplated, mm-hmm. oh, we don't want that person. Right. Uh, you know, a person would downgrade and quit paying full dues. This is when clubs are going to have to be reinventing you know, what their membership categories are to move people to portions of the club when inventory is high. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, again, going back to that thinking outside of the box that we've sort of existed in for a long time, um, this is an opportunity to start to think outside of that box and how we can adjust and adapt moving forward. Um, Well, thank you for covering all of those points. Actually, I think this is a great segue into what will be our next episode. Um, We'll be covering, you know, how do we handle our current members? So thank you both for joining us. (laughs) Thank you.